0: Welcome to this episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm Andrea Miller, and my guest today is author and speaker Patrice Gopo. Patrice is the Black American daughter of Jamaican immigrants who was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. As you will hear in our conversation today, her personal story spans a variety of places and cultural identities. Today we talk about the realities of growing up as a Black child in a predominantly white community and how being different affected Patrice's quest to belong. We also dive into the topics of race, immigration experiences, and the importance of Black stories. Listen in on our conversation. All right, well, Patrice, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's really
1: a delight to be here.
0: Well, we had a we had a little pre-chat, but um, I didn't tell you how I actually came across your name and book and reached out to you to have you on. I actually... <laughs> Was not familiar with your name or book earlier in 2020, um, and I was, at that time, my Dad had just suddenly passed away, oh, I'm so and yes, the 2020 has just been a,
1: yeah, uh, it's been a <laughs> what a year! But
0: I was doing searches on Amazon. I was really wanting to read books about a gr- grief journey and hard life journey, and yours came up as a recommendation. So I'm not exactly oh, sure why. Okay, but it, it, so I just came up as I ordered one book on a, somebody's grief journey, and it yours came up as a recommendation. And the title, of course, caught my eye, all the colors we will see. And I thought, well, what is... So that's when it came up. And I put you on my list. I'm like, I don't know exactly what this is about, but this looks like a book I want to read. So oh,
1: good. that's well, how it came about. Well, I'm, I'm sorry for what prompted you to find it, but I'm glad that you did find it. Well, I am too. And I...
0: I skimmed over your book before I reached out to you to come on, but then I just read it the last few weeks more slowly and let it just sink in more. And it is such a good read. Again, it's called all the colors we will see and it's your life journey, but it's stories and essays that are just so thoughtfully written together and intertwined. And, um, we'll talk more, we'll get more into it towards the end of the podcast. Okay. Um, but it's, it's one I definitely recommend and I just appreciate your truth telling and your honesty and your journey throughout it that you share.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
0: So that's what we'll talk about today, too, is things that you shared in the book, but also just more of your life story and journey. But before we do that, can you just tell us just your general bio? I've already pre-recorded like your professional bio, but can you share with my listeners just your day-to-day, where you live, do you have kids, all of that stuff?
1: Sure, absolutely. Okay, so I know we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but To just give you a little bit of background, I am the Black American daughter of Jamaican immigrants, and I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. So I spent the first 18 years of my life, almost 18 years of my life before I went to college, living and growing up in Anchorage, Alaska. And then I've lived in a number of different places since then. Um, But right now, I am living here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I am married. I have two daughters who are six and 10 years old. And yeah, that is my life. I am a writer and I'm also a speaker and a teacher. So I write essays, as you mentioned already. And I also teach about the craft of writing personal essays and writing creative nonfiction. And I also will often speak about the importance of sharing personal stories as a mechanism for connecting with one another in society and helping to both recognize our similarities, and then also honor our differences. And I love that. I mean, that is so many things drew me to you and wanting
0: to talk to you, but you have a passion for storytelling and how that relates to justice and drawing us into community through our differences. And I love that. And we'll get more into that later after we hear more about your story, because it's so important. And I just... Love your passion for that. One of the things before we dive into your story, one of the quotes that I highlighted in your book relating to story, you said, mm. "I I am a story, and I cling to the known parts because maybe in that act, I remember and remind folks how much has been taken, erased, and lost." Mm, yeah. And not just really, even reading it, I'm like, that is such a powerful statement. Um, so let's start with that and tell us your story. Just start at the beginning. Like we, like you said, you are from Jamaican immigrants, you grew up in Alaska, but mm-hmm. take take us back to childhood, um, being raised by immigrants. And really, even with your story, maybe you could tell us how your parents got here. I think that's really important with especially the current political climate with immigrants and wanting to close mm-hmm. our country. And um, so
1: if you wouldn't mind, actually take us back to how your
0: folks did get here.
1: Absolutely. And actually, I find and it's a it's an important piece of the story because people often wonder how did Jamaican immigrants end yeah. up in Alaska and yeah so my um my parents as I said they were born and raised in Jamaica and then when my father was about I guess he was sixteen or seventeen years old he actually what is it immigrated to the United States emigrated from Jamaica and okay. immigrated to the yes, United yes. States yes mm-hmm. and. And my grandmother, so my father's mother, was already in the United States at that point. She had left a few years before. She had relatives who were already in New York City. And the idea was that perhaps she would have an opportunity to, you know, just build a better life for her children and her family. And so she went ahead first. And then my father and his sister followed a few. Few years later so he was a teenager at this point and he arrived uh, i think he did his maybe his final two years of high school in the united states and um then at that point he actually so he had become a permanent resident at this point and he actually went back to Jamaica he thought maybe maybe that's where I want to want to start instead and he'd gone back to Jamaica but as I said he was already a permanent resident and this was during the time of the Vietnam war and so okay he received a draft notice Uh, that in order to maintain his residency, he needed to respond to this draft notice. uh, And so he did. He responded to the draft notice. He came back to the States. And after his basic training, everyone in his group, except for him and one other person, they were sent to Vietnam. And he doesn't remember where the other person was sent, but he was sent to Anchorage. And so that is really the beginnings of how my family you know, established our lives in Alaska, in this place, you know, they they never could have imagined, and so no, gosh, it, right? I know. And then, <laughs> during back when my father was in Jamaica for that period of time before he responded to the draft notice, he would have met my mother at that point, and they would have had a long distance relationship for I think for a number of years before they got married, and then she moved directly from Jamaica to Anchorage. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> what so I what actually,
0: was what was going on in the Jamaican? I mean, that climate that brought so many, because you mentioned in your book, like during the 1960s and 70s, there was kind of a flood of Jamaican immigrants to the
1: United States. So what was going on yeah. then that caused that? I'm just curious. And actually it wasn't just a flood of Jamaican immigrants, gotcha. it was a flood of many immigrants because what happened is that the immigration laws changed. I think it's around 1965 that they okay. Came. So prior to that, they had been much more restrictive and in many ways were only allowing people from certain parts of the world to really come to the United States. And so there was a loosening and a changing of those restrictions, which actually enabled a larger number of people from many parts of the world. So people would say, if you look back at those um, restrictions that were in place prior, in many ways they were very, um, they, they were prioritizing certain people sure. that they likely had very racist undertones. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There. So, sure. um, so there was a, a loosening and a changing. And I think that's one thing I often like to think about when we consider even how we view people arriving within the context and border of this country is that we have over the years evolved in that and i think sometimes we need to recognize it's time for another look again so we can make some additional changes because we've done that in the past and yes. I, and i think much to much to good and so so i think there's just that sense in my head of yeah, it. We do need to reevaluate. We do need to do this. So, so that's really what happened that yeah, allowed I- this uh, this larger number of people to okay. And, yeah, to, and to
0: yeah. I would totally agree with you. I mean, that's why I'm asking. So I mean, asking so much about yeah this story, because I think it's really important. We learn history of what has happened. Yes. And like you said, sometimes we need to rewrite and relook at things. And going back even further, you're probably like, are we not going to hear about my story? But I think it's fascinating, <laughs> too. <laughs> like, you talk about in the books that Um, your father grew up with the last name Williams because that was the last name that your grandfather was given when he was brought to Jamaica as an indentured servant. Is that right? Right.
1: Yeah. yeah, Well, he himself would not have been, but his His grandfather. Yes. My my grandfather's ancestors would have likely come from India as indentured servants. So my family, we are um, a multiracial family in that we have people who – black in our family. We have people of Indian descent in our family. And so the ways in which they may have arrived in Jamaica were not necessarily exactly the same. But what is certainly true is that Jamaica was ruled by the English, you know, up until Mm -hmm. Jamaican independence. And so there was a lot of decisions made about people who arrived from other places. And one aspect was this idea that when my father's ancestors would have arrived from India that they were given this last name Williams which Mm -hmm. was not truly who they were and so my father had this desire that uh, when he became a U.S. citizen so one of the things that maybe people don't all know that when you become a U.S. citizen you do actually have the option of choosing another name and just as an aside, it's interesting. My daughter and I were part of a mother-daughter book club, and um, one of the books we just read was a book called Amina's Voice. I think that's what okay. it's called, Amina's Voice. And in that story, there is a kind of a secondary story where one of the characters is becoming a U.S. citizen, and she's wondering if she should change her name. And as I read that, I thought this is exactly the experience my father would have had yes. that he then had this choice. And so he he ended up choosing this name Hardwar, which is rooted in the place of origin of kind of the ancestral home for the people that he is descended from who would have come originally from India. So this is how I ended up with this maiden name, Hardwar. Okay. Oh, this is a lot for for your listeners. I don't know if they're all so interested in this, but well, I, I think
0: to me, it's, it's to me, it's story. fascinating because our stories, our stories have so many layers and this is what's gotten to who, who you are. And in the, I mean, so I think it's important and relevant and our viewers, I hope, or my viewers, my (laughs) listeners, I hope they can start seeing the importance of just history and our stories, especially where we are right now as a country, like knowing the layers under the stories,
1: So. I think, so. I think that really points to something I believe in very strongly is I think we often in our desire and quest to, I don't know, move forward or see, you know, improve society. We often forget to bear witness to the past. Yes. And I think that happens in our individual, that can happen in our individual lives and within the context of our corporate lives as well too. And by corporate, I mean society, not Mm -hmm. corporate company, but, um, so I think for me, I feel a deep sense of desiring to honor the stories yeah. of our past and to, to know them. And again, as you mentioned in that quote from the beginning, there are pieces that we don't know, pieces that get lost, but I think there is a sense of trying to understand. And, and I will say, as a person who tends to be classified as an optimist, I recognize that sometimes it can be easier to try and hope for the future rather than grapple with the past. Yeah. But I do believe in our ability to grapple with the past, it can create a more full, a fuller view of hoping for the future. Yeah. I I
0: couldn't agree more. And I think you see a lot of tension with that right now because people, people that don't quite embrace that think, oh, bringing up the past and the racial issues of the past or slavery, like, can't we just move on from that? And it's like, how can you move on if you don't acknowledge the truth of the past right. and the stories that got you here? And right. so right. that's, that's why I like dig- digging deeper and knowing like the true stories and where we're at. So thank you for that. And sharing the layers Absolutely. that got you to Alaska. So let's fast forward to that. You okay. born and raised in Alaska in yes. predominantly white spaces.
1: Yes. Particularly Talk- in Anchorage. I would like yeah. to say I grew up in Anchorage because it, I wouldn't necessarily say the whole state is predominantly white because of other populations that we have. Sure. The Alaskan population that is there too. And so, but especially where I grew up in Anchorage was a predominantly white space. So
0: yeah, tell me about that because you also had, which is such a key point of your story, parents that didn't know what it was like to be black in America. They didn't have that history of civil rights in America. Like, right. so tell me your childhood navigating that. Um, we'll also dive into your faith journey, navigating that. And yeah. if you want, if they, they intertwine too. So if you want to bring it all in, that's yeah, totally fine.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I will just say people often ask me, what was it like growing up in Anchorage? And actually I, when my book came out a couple years ago, I even wrote an opinion essay for my hometown newspaper, the Anchorage Daily News, that was, it was called A Letter to My Home. And really, what I was trying to delve into was the sense of tension that mm. I experienced uh, navigating my way through my life in Anchorage. So, on one hand, I want to say there are so many beautiful aspects about my childhood, about my experience, about the friendships that my family made that. Anchorage, particularly, I find it to be a a place where there's a lot of people from uh, who come there who aren't necessarily from there. And so they don't necessarily have close family around. And so in many ways, friendships become like family in Anchorage. And I mean, my family, we still have the lifelong friends that, um, yeah. that are from that time. I mean, there's a set of sisters I grew up down the road from and you know, we're not in touch all the time, but we are very much in touch. And when we're in touch, it's not as though time has passed. We're just able to inhabit who we we have been all these many years. Uh, so I think there's just a lot of beauty when I think back to many of those experiences. And I think the other thing that's very true and is becoming more and more true for me as I grow older is my deep love for the natural world. And mm seeing the natural world. And uh, where I live here in Charlotte, we we don't have mountains right here in Charlotte. And one of my favorite things to do is for us to go up to the North Carolina mountains. And I really believe that is very much rooted in the way I grew up and just seeing the presence of these landscapes. And and the North Carolina mountains are not the same as Anchorage. So I recognize them as their own type of experience but I think it's speaking to a longing that I have in my heart for the, the landscape of what I grew up in and for some of the experiences I would have had and just even the ways in which I would be carefree within the context of the woods in our backyard and mm. things of that nature. And so, so I think that I wanna say that there's these wonderful elements that are there, and yet there was also struggle that was there t- too. I was, by and large, the only black child in my classroom settings, and mm-hmm. maybe, maybe in high school at some point, I probably would have had a class where there might have been another black student. But um, yeah, maybe high school junior high or somewhere around there. But but certainly in elementary school, I would have been the only black child in my um, in my class, and. There is that sense of how, how do you navigate that yeah. and recognizing that you certainly are, you certainly do not fit in in so many ways with the students around you, but also this is the place you are. These are the friends you've made. And I think also even that sense of expertise expectation that other people might have placed on me about understanding certain aspects of being a Black American, there was an assumption made. And then, as you've already said, my parents are immigrants. They, you know, they are American citizens, so they're Black Americans as well, but their history would have been in Jamaica. And so in many ways, they weren't necessarily aware of some of the things i may have experienced in school so there is an essay in my book where i talk about in uh, high school reading the book huckleberry finn and that book it just uses an abundance of racial slurs and it was it was very difficult for me to sit in class with us reading this book and discussing this book And my parents, they'll say to me, well, why didn't you say something to us? Why didn't you tell us? And I think there was almost a sense, I think on one hand, I felt a sense of shame, which now that I look back, there's no reason I should have felt that, but somehow I was internalizing that. And then I think the other part is, I I don't think I fully was aware that this is something I could bring up to my parents, that it might be something that could be addressed. It almost just felt like, well, this is just school and what happens in school. And so I I think, for example, my own children are growing up in a space where they're, are a lot more black children and black educators and i think there's just a greater awareness of those experiences so a greater awareness maybe by my for me as a parent but also for the people who are educating them so i think there's some of that tension right what do you what do you do with some of those things uh how how do you be in the world and i i think also too you know when you are growing up in a place where you may be are the one who is on the outside of what the normative experience is, it can often leave you questioning yourself a little bit and wondering about your own uh, place, your own sense of identity. Um, I think one thing for me that I value, though, is I did make good friends you know in this i feel like i did at least for the extent of my time in school i haven't necessarily kept in touch with many of them but i feel like you know i was able to find friendships and form those and i feel as as i i was a high achieving student and so that was another place that gave me a sense of identity was being this high achieving student and and i think part of the you know part of that desire being that high achieving student is there was this future Looking side of me that was dreaming about going off to college because it somehow in my head I thought there's going to be more out there yeah. and I, I want to yeah. see what the more is that's out there, which I think is probably a very typical experience for many people.
0: I Absolutely. But so, I mean, such a hard extra layer being black in a white space. Like, I can't, I obviously can't imagine because I haven't been there, but I also have not been the minority in many spaces. as a right. white person, Right. so I and mean, I even oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just saying. So, reading through some of the stories that you share, like the first time you heard the N word on the playground, I mean, it's just like yeah. my heart broke for you as a little girl. I mean, I also have two daughters, and I think about it's hard enough being a girl and growing up, and then you have this extra layer. And it's like it really is heartbreaking to think of, and, and you're not alone in that journey. So many other you know, black children, they're in white spaces are right. dealing with that. And you hope to think that we've have, we're becoming more aware as teachers and leaders. But I, I don't know, even when you talked about in high school that you were the, the teacher had you watch a film on slavery and then right. really, and then picked you out to ask what you thought about it like, right, right. Are you kidding me? And so I see why. I mean, a theme throughout your book is just that struggle for belonging and finding, right. finding your place. And um, you see why. You see why that is. Did yeah. you want to go on with something with that? I kind of.
1: Oh no! I'm you're talking. To each other. Yeah. No, I was just you know agreeing with what you're saying. This idea that I think when we consider our stories and when people share stories, one of the beautiful things that can happen with that is that there are points of connection that are yeah. made, that, right? So in this idea, this search for belonging, as you pointed out, I think that is in many ways a universal theme. And yet I think you rightly so also point out, but there's an additional layer that mm-hmm. I'm experiencing that's not necessarily what everyone who is searching for belonging yeah. might be experiencing. <laughs> and so that's one of the things that I feel is so important when we share stories is we don't just stop at, the commonalities and the similarities and the points of resonation. But we also stop and consider, but how does this experience differ from what yeah. I've experienced, such that I can see something more that might be going on? You you uh, made a point at uh, just a few moments ago where you were talking about that what it might be like to have been a Black child in a predominantly white space. And then you said you've never been kind of in the situation where you were the and I would actually even argue even if you were in that position that it probably wouldn't have the same connotations because of the layers that we already have around race in our society so yeah that and so I think even in that that there's kind of that sense of how do we parse this out to fully honor the differences? not that i'm saying you weren't i just feel like no you're exactly you're exactly right and now that i think about that even
0: deeper i'm like well actually i, ha- I mean we've attended churches that are predominantly black i've been mm-hmm. to nicaragua i've been to africa so i have been quote minority in terms of numbers but still being white like you still like it, it's just such a different
1: right, you not still even the carry same the sense you still carry that power that society yes. has offered whiteness, right? Yep. And so um, so again, the experience is not necessarily happening in the same way. And I just think these are good things for us to as people as we share stories for us to be attuned to and alert to and recognizing what might be happening. Because I do think in my experience of just creating spaces for conversations about different stories and people's stories is just that Deep desire for people to connect that some people may have, that there's a yeah. sense of, oh, yes, me too, which is fine. But then I think what can also happen is we don't fully honor what someone has just shared because of um, just because we're not also seeing the other layers beneath. But I think that can take work and time to truly flesh that out and understand that so um and, and again, it, ab- it absolutely does but it's like that's why we have to we have to keep on this journey right. of yeah. listening
0: it's and true. hearing and it's sharing yep, absolutely. and one of the things that struck me when you talk about and i think this probably struck me because I could relate on some level and I think women can. It's a, yeah. um, on the, in terms of beauty and how yeah. you looked, you said in all right. my memories of childhood, nothing about my appearance brought me contentment, not my mm-hmm. shape, not my complexion and not my hair. My mother braided each day.
1: Which I think just makes me so sad. when Me I too. Ah. I, mean, I delight in myself. I just fully delight in who I am. Mm. And, you know, and so, but when I think back to that little girl and, you think about the standards of beauty that our society sets and from early on, how you can recognize you're not fulfilling that. And, um, and I, I just think it's sad. Really yeah.
0: Sad. Yeah. And that's an area that I hope, I mean, we still hear about with, you know, all the white princesses, like, and so I'm hoping we're becoming a more aware and changing. Do you feel that way now raising daughters in in, in America today, your girls are, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, where we're at today with it?
1: I, I will say I think we are better. Yeah, but still (laughs) a long way. (laughs) I think. I I think I was not fully prepared for how intense it is and Mm -hmm. how much as a mother you have to counter the messages that are coming. (sighs) And I I think and I sometimes think to myself, how did you not realize? Because you grew up, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Um. But I think somehow I envisioned it was going to be easier to counter those messages. And they, I am telling you, Andrew, they are everywhere. They are everywhere in so many forms. But, you know, one thing that I think is kind of neat now, especially with my older daughter, is I feel as though she is also becoming aware of the messaging such that mm-hmm. she can point it out to me now, too. And we can be like, oh, yeah, there's that mess, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of cool that she's able to recognize that now. But I, I do, I mean, I think we we have saturated our culture with a beauty ideal that in many ways revolves around whiteness and the white woman. And, um, and then there's all these varying layers of degrees away from whatever that particular ideal is because i think in many ways the ideal it's you know for even for white women they they themselves know that maybe it's a long blonde haired woman or something like yeah yeah um but and so it's just a sense of distance from the ideal that everyone has an experience there's a great book that i have read often i mean i've reread over the years called don't play in the sun and by Marita Golden, "Don't Play in the Sun," and she's okay. um, she is journeying through this idea of the color complex, and she primarily is focusing on Black women and their kind of relationship with beauty and kind of the ideals that are set forth. But she does at some point. She does a chapter, I believe, that explores even white women's experiences with the same thing. Okay. So, yeah, that so sounds really interesting. really interesting. I think it's really interesting. So, Yeah,
0: I would love, like, again, going back to you as a black woman, have another layer in raising daughters. I mean, I'm raising white daughters and it's a struggle to yeah. feel like they belong and they're beautiful by the society right. standards. And um, I think it's just such an awareness of moms, like we have to be always... Always conversing with them. Always, like you said, your ten year old can now like point out those messages or the lies or whatever. So right. I think it's just really important. We're proactive as moms yeah. with that one. Absolutely. So the, other, think think that, the yeah. other thing that the oh, other thing that go ahead. On track from you asked me about my story. I feel like we've got this. Is it. all part no. of it. It's okay. okay. We're moms. Okay. We're stories. Our daughters. It's okay. But I think <laughs> it's um <laughs> because our daughters are part of our story. Absolutely. And I just I I really um. I think our own awareness with our own story and how that plays out with our daughters is another fascinating layer of it as well. When we're also talking, um, because I want to get into your faith journey a little bit, but as we're even talking about this, what just came to mind was, my gosh, the enemy is such a force to make us think, to make us think as a little child, like I'm not beautiful, I'm not wonderfully made, and how he already starts attacking us. And so you're feeling that as a child, but you're also being raised in the church, but a predominantly white church. So talk about a little bit of, that and how your faith journey starts playing out in your childhood, in your life. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I will just say, and I feel like I don't touch on this maybe as much in my book, but I, again, I think if Anchorage had its own tensions <laughs> of there were good and bad, and I think that is something that's important that we as people in society can hold the fact that one experience can hold good and bad in it too, or, or joy and struggle in it as well. I think even so, my experience in the church, um, the joy and struggle as well. There, I mean, there are friendships that formed in those seasons that my family still has. I was, I mean, I was even texting my youth group leader from uh-huh. middle school yesterday. And, and I mean, we're still, this, I mean, this is a lifelong friendship, which I am thrilled that is part of my story and part of my journey. And yet at the same time, I feel as though the white evangelical church has historically lacked awareness around just issues of race and issues of justice, and, and I think as a Black girl, Black woman in that context, well, I wouldn't, maybe not as much Black woman because I feel like my journey has taken me in different places, but maybe as a young adult in those contexts, it was difficult perhaps to... Fully embody my own identity in those yeah. places, and I think there was a part of myself that wasn't maybe fully present to what was happening and what was going on. And I honestly think, when I look back, Andrea, I don't even know that I was aware of that. I don't even mm-hmm. know that I was aware of that. I, I think it's only now, when I turn my head backwards and look, you know, at the past, that I think, you know, you you weren't actually able to be fully yourself there. That uh, there. I just even think back to discussions. Maybe I was even on the periphery of about race in the white evangelical church, and it it was so much more focused on individual friendship versus right. the pursuit of justice and changing what is fundamentally flawed about our systems. And um, and that like what. Know twenty five years ago,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so, so how have you come to? Ter- I mean, right now, like white evangelical church is almost a bad word, just yeah. <laughs> especially relating. You know, so how have you come to terms? Like you've had to have a lot of deconstruction of your faith, but you still are yeah. a believer. Like how how have you wrestled with that and come to peace? I mean, that's a, probably such a broad question, but I'm kind yeah. of
1: just con- yeah. I, and I guess one thing I would say is I feel like I'm an ongoing story, yeah I, I feel like my faith journey is an ongoing story, and there are places in which I seasons in which I feel like there's a more active wrestling of what is going on, what is it that I true where do I truly fall in in these beliefs and and other seasons I think maybe it just somehow it does, this is going to sound terrible as I say it, I almost feel, it just doesn't feel as important to me to try. Well, I, 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 that well. I,
0: I think that's being really honest and I relate. I mean, I've been the last couple of years of year and a half, especially just a, a journey of faith deconstruction. I think because when all these truths and you start, different things start surfacing and it makes you look deeper at things. But I think... I think in the end you're stronger, but I do think we go through seasons. And like you said, an ongoing story, even in our own faith journey with God. Um,
1: I think that is very true. But I will say, I think one, I think in my early twenties, not even I think in my early twenties, I know in my early twenties, several things happened. I, um, I attended a church where as it so happened for the first time, I really heard the words of Psalm 139 and mm. it was very transformative for me to Recognize my full self as being created by God, and um, you know just who I am. And I, I write about that a little bit in the mm-hmm. book, um, yeah, in one of the essays. And then another thing happened is that I was living in upstate New York for a little while, and I attended a church there where I was actually part of a very active urban ministry. And okay. um, and it it just it to be in that space to be in a place where, um, you know, the leadership was the, the, the couple leading the ministry was a black couple that, um, and there just many other people who were there that I hadn't necessarily seen in my white evangelical experience and, uh, and seeing that kind of living out faith was uh, it was a beautiful thing for me as well. And so I think those things have helped to shape, uh, what has been happening for me. I ended up going to South Africa. That's where I met my husband. Yes. and He's from Zimbabwe, but we met in South Africa. And so I spent some time there. And I think even in that, to be married to someone who is very much connected to grappling with his own faith in the context of being a Black Zimbabwean. And what does that mean? I feel though together we've been... Yeah. Sometimes I say to him, our conversations are just too serious sometimes. <laughs> Which, again, I think is kind of funny because I tend to be lighthearted and an optimist, but I, I think for us, it's just an ongoing thing of yeah. conversing. And the people we are today, when we think about faith, are not the people we were five years ago or the people we were 10 years ago. So I think that's the reality of trying to make sense of a faith that in many ways has been used to oppress people over the years and over the centuries. And where do you fit in that? And do you have a place? And I absolutely believe we do have a place, but I think it is also a continued journey of finding what that is.
0: Absolutely. And that's why, I mean, I loved Rachel Held Evans because she talked about like, if your faith isn't evolving and changing, like, are you, are you really reading the Bible? Are you really questioning? Like, I think that's a really healthy part of the growth process. <laughs> Okay, Patrice, let's talk about a little bit, because I know you do have a story here. You mentioned that you met your husband in Africa when you were there on a a South Africa. Talk a little bit about how you got there um, and that part of your story, and then how you ended up back in the States.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so just to give a little bit of background. So an undergraduate, I studied chemical engineering, and I actually worked as a chemical engineer for a couple years, and I didn't really enjoy that a whole lot. So I went back to graduate school. I was developing, during that time, I was really developing this passion for economic and community development and just thinking about uh, material poverty alleviation. And so I went back to graduate school. And so I had two master's degrees. I have an MBA and a master's of public policy. And my intent was to work in this field. And so at the end of graduate school, I wrote this grant to go to Cape Town where I was going to work with um, some women who were living in some of the townships in Cape town to uh, just help them as they were starting small businesses and, and do some consulting with them and about their small businesses. And so I went to Cape town to do this. And I was, the plan was that I was going to be living with my friend and her husband who my friend is an American. We met when I was, working as an engineer and i was living in rochester new york and her husband they were now in cape town so he's south african her husband's south african and you know she's american i was going to live with them so the story goes is that the day i was arriving in cape town my friends they didn't have a car at the time and so they needed a friend of theirs to come get me at the airport and the person who came to get me at the airport is the person I ended up marrying. Oh. So. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing about that whole story is when I was clearing immigration, when my flight landed and I was clearing immigration, and I write a little bit about this in my book. Uh, I don't write about the story I'm about to say, I don't think. But I, I was just weary. I'd been traveling and living in different places over much of my twenties. And Mm -hmm. I had actually, as I was going to South Africa, I had been living in Barcelona earlier that semester. And I was just thinking, you know what? I think the season of all this is over. I'm ready to actually go back to Alaska and kind of start life there. But I'd already made this commitment to go to South Africa. And so when I cleared immigration, this woman, she says to me, what am I, you know, who am I staying with? I mentioned my friend and her husband. And she says, oh, maybe that will happen for you. And I said, mm. oh, no, I don't think so. Not my plan. Then, Thank you. <laughs> exactly. And then really, Andrea, I mean, within 10 minutes, I, <sighs> I'd i met him. I didn't know I'd met him at right. that point, but right. I had. And yeah, and so we ended up he, um you know, over those ten weeks, we got to know each other more and more, and the day I was leaving Cape Town, he basically told me that he liked me and uh-huh. we, we kept in touch for months over Skype and email and then so a long long distance relationship yeah, yeah. I was in Anchorage at that time, and he was in Cape Town uh-huh. and he- Yeah, so we kept in touch, and so I think it was about nine months after that, I went back to Cape Town, and we got engaged, so that was the story of that, (gasps) Um, so so after we got married, I did spend a couple years in Cape Town, and then we, yeah, two years in Cape Town, and then we ended up. Coming to the United States, it, it was just tricky for both of us, not being South African citizens, to actually yeah. be in South Africa. And so we thought, well, let's let's give the states a try, and um, and we just kind of picked Charlotte. I'd never been, but we just picked it, and that, yeah, that's, that's what I was
0: thinking. You randomly, you just you kind of randomly picked it, didn't you, from a magazine article or something? I did. Yeah. yeah. So there yeah, was
1: a funny. magazine article in Black Enterprise that talked about the best places for african-americans to live in the country and charlotte was one of them and so we just kind of thought well let's try charlotte and go for it and that's see what awesome happens. that's awesome that's that's fun
0: that's so you're still planted there now tell me a little bit i feel like there's so many different layers and parts of your story which there is to all of us but trying to like keep some of your parallel stories separate um but still integrate them here so you're Career journey, like you said, you were—you've got a couple of masters. You were an engineer, but yet you have a passion for storytelling and writing and justice. So, do you mind sharing with us, Zav, like how that evolved to where you are now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, just thinking about my whole career journey, I know people often think, "Oh, wow, it's so varied. It's so these different things." But I, I do feel as though I am a person who has, over the years, had a variety of interests. But I also think many of these particular interests have been tied together by uh, just an interest in creativity and an interest in what could be possible in the world. I think that those are some themes that I have noticed when I look back over my particular, you know, career and and so yeah. In my twenties, I that really began my more intense journey towards being actively involved in justice issues and forms of employment. And so that's what brought me to get my master's degrees was that my intent was to work within these fields, within this justice field. And so, you know, my plans got altered when I ended up going to South Africa and I did not have a work permit there. So I really couldn't actually work in the field that I was trained to work in. And it was in this space that I began writing and i i discovered how writing was a powerful way in which to illuminate stories that i wanted to illuminate so i do often consider stories around my experiences and my racial identity formation experiences and just even stories more broadly about justice in the world and things of that nature and i just found oh wow this is another way in which you can do this and i remember in my 20s maybe speaking with someone who was talking about the variety of ways you could actually enter into the thing that you're passionate about and i mean i agreed and it just so happened i thought well i think the mba and the masters of public policy will be a good fit for me maybe someone else might have chosen law or someone else might have done social work or something like that you know um but i think i it never occurred to me what writing can do and it was it was really a sweet discovery honestly andrea because as I realized, I've always enjoyed writing over the span of my lifetime. But I think because, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, because I was a woman and a black woman, or I guess at the time, a a black girl, uh, and um, I had, a strong aptitude for math and science. And I think there was just a sense of trying to encourage me in a direction where I could utilize that yeah. strong interest. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if interest, but ability, that's what I want to say. That's strong ability in math and science and to to put it to use in a field like engineering. And so while I feel as though I was very able to do engineering, it didn't necessarily contain my passion for it. But now, honestly, when I look back on that, I sometimes wonder what would it have been like if maybe I had had a mentor in the field who really understood my particular experience and maybe understood the struggles of being not just a woman, but a black woman in this very white male dominated field that, I mean, that just wasn't super fun for me. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Super fun kind of space for me to be in. So I think there were certainly other reasons why I might've wanted to leave that too. So I I do, I have wondered that over the years, uh, but, but I think it's neat that it is part of my story because I think it says, you know, we, we don't have to be constrained by what other people expect mm. we're going to do.
0: But I think going back to when you were telling that about the engineering, and that's what kind of people thought, oh, well, she excels at this. Like, it's also part of your story in becoming who you really, who God created you to be. I mean, you were still trying to fit, please people or fit the mold of what other people thought you should be or on your journey. And so that's why the engineer stop happened. And now it's like becoming more fully who you are. Is this writer and storyteller?
1: It is. Um, It is. is. And, you know, I will say, I find it super interesting, but the engineering, it's still there. So I mentioned earlier that I teach. I teach writing. And people have often indicated to me how much they valued my classes about teaching about essays and creative nonfiction. And I think one of the things that people really enjoy, which they may not fully realize, is I bring this very engineering mindset (laughs) to Mm -hmm thinking about writing. And so I, I believe that just is maybe a niche that I get to occupy because yeah. of the experiences I've had and thinking about how to even share information with others. And, and so I, I believe these things can all come together.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think I i I think no. no, God uses all parts of our stories. Right. Um, so like you said, you do teach and offer workshops and just looking through some of the topics that you teach about um, the importance of personal storytelling um, and also, which we've talked about a little bit, but you also teach and talk about why an abundance of black stories matter. Do you mind talking about that a little bit for people that maybe aren't quite getting that? I mean, I, I, I know and believe that, but would you mind sharing yeah, a little absolutely. bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So one of the things I like to share when I give that talk is this idea of how growing up, I had a real sense of a broad range of stories that white people would have experienced because of what I read, yeah. that by and large, the characters were, were white characters. Now, I there were a few black characters that I would have read in, um, in my childhood. And typically their storyline would have interacted with either slavery, segregation, or the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. So kind of stories that were weighted in these much larger, heavy things, which it's important. Don't get me wrong. Those are important. But what was lacking was a sense of just Black people living the same ordinary stories that white people were living in the stories that were available. And so what I believe happens often is i am not necessarily one seeing myself in many of these stories and so you you almost in a way it can create a narrow view of what what someone like you is is possible but at the same time i feel like my classmates were also Mm. not so my white classmates they were not seeing you know black children i don't know just having fun doing you know being lighthearted that every story right. seemed to revolve around this uh the particular stories around oppression and things of that nature which again i, I want to reiterate i believe those stories are important but i think what we need is a fullness of black stories not just for black people but for everyone because this is what helps us to see the that the humanity of people this is what helps us to see the humanity of people and i think one of the challenges is particularly when you think about the experience of white people is that they have maybe have had less interaction with recognizing the humanity of black people and and i think stories are a powerful way of doing that and so that's why i think an abundance of black stories matters because the the stories of Black people are not just one story, it's not just one narrative. We are not all just living one particular story, one particular narrative. When I share my story, when I wrote my book, I write about being the Black American daughter of Jamaican immigrants. I write about my experience growing up in a predominantly white community. That's an aspect of being a Black American that not every Black American has experienced. And if we only have certain stories of Black Americans or Black people out there that exist, then the idea can be, well, this is how Black people are. And that is is—that's that, just crazy because there's you know tons of right. multitude of stories and true there there you you can find themes and commonalities but people still have a multitude of stories and i think the reality is we make space for white people to have a multitude of stories all sorts of different stories but i think our society has we have in many ways not allowed for black people to have a multitude of stories and yet it's within the context of these multitudes of stories that i think we continue to recognize the humanness of each other Mm, that's so good
0: so good thank you for that for sharing a little bit of that and so i I know our time is drawing to a close so i have one one last question for you Sure. I, i was looking through the um which is so so well done and this would be such a good book to have as a book club book because you all you also give on your website discussion
1: questions for your book so i was
0: looking through them just curious one of them said do you believe patrice found her sense of belonging by the end of the book why or why not so i want to ask you do you feel like you found your sense of belonging where you're at right now in your story
1: are you are you a piece do you have you found Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. that's a great question and yes I do. I definitely do feel at peace. And I think there's several things that have happened. I feel very much that within the context of my marriage, I belong here, Mm, that this is a place where I belong. But you know, the other thing, Andrea, is I feel very much that this person that I am, the person I was created to be, this person who's moving through this world with the stories that I carry, I belong to this person too. Mm. Like this this is this is who I am, and and I am I delight in who I am. So yeah, I do feel as though I have found that sense of belonging. Uh, yeah, that's in, good. In aspects that is so good. I just I, you've
0: been such a joy to talk to. Really, this has been. Um, I've read your book, and I thought I knew a lot about you, but there's just so there's a there's a lot there. I Just really appreciate your truthfulness and your wisdom. It's such a delight. So tell us where, where our listener, my listeners can find you, um, on the Facebook, Instagram, all those places so they could connect with you if you're active on social media.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I will say you can find me at my website, patriscopocom And there is a you can subscribe to my newsletter if you're interested in that. Okay. I, am, I do have social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram, which are at Patrice Gopo, but I do from time to time take breaks from those places. I know. <laughs> um, or I'm, yeah, at Patrice Gopo for Twitter. And, okay. and then my Facebook page, I do, I do tend to keep that active. And by active, I mean maybe once or twice a week. That's might- okay. Oh, yeah. It's a struggle. But- I get it. <laughs> Patrice Sopo writes as my Facebook page. But I will say just to say something related to that in our conversation about the abundance of Black stories, I have done a couple recent posts on my Facebook page where I've taken pictures of some of the books that my daughters read that really highlight an abundance of black stories, so books that feature black characters, just to help others find those out there in the world. So, if that Good. topic resonated with any of your um, listeners, then just so they know that I okay. I, and I'll put links to that, and I'll check that out. So that was on your Facebook. Is that what you on said? Facebook, yeah. Okay. Facebook page. It's the most recent post, and then a couple posts before. But the most recent post, I just posted twenty five picture books. Okay. Um, yeah, just oh, I will put links to that and I'll
0: check that out. Because like you said, it's not just black parents sharing with their white or their black right. children. Exactly. White parents like me, we need to be exposing our yes, kids absolutely. to all sorts of stories. So absolutely. I will check that out and we'll put links to... Your Facebook, Instagram, and your website, as well as where to buy your book, all the colors we will see, and it came out two years ago. Is that That's right? It. Yeah. Okay. Two years ago, August of twenty eighteen. Okay, and like I said, it's a, it's just a great book of, essay essays and personal stories and on your website, you have a whole list of discussion questions. So it's just, it's a really worthwhile read. So I just thank you for that and for sharing today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I encourage you to check out Patrice's book, All the Colors We Will See, which is filled with more of her reflections and ultimately challenges us to wonder if the very differences dividing us might bring us together after all.